Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. The call came in as it always does. I didn't want to look at it. For Santa's new health product has the cannibal community a buzz. Agents have not been able to uncover the source they use for their artisanal meats. There are no disappearance events, dimensional tears, or cloning vats in the area. Investigate, and put a stop to their nefarious deeds. I couldn't resist Control's call. I jumped into my car and jetted back towards St. Louis. I went over the address. It was one of those places that kills the hog and does the basic processing on an industrial scale. Meat processing plants used to be more important to America and to St. Louis. Whole populations, mainly immigrants, would move with the jobs back and forth from Chicago to St. Louis to who knows where. I stopped caring after St. Louis. Mostly, the longer a people stay in a country they immigrate to, the higher they rise in the social stratum of America. A poor country is more likely to produce workers who will work in a place like this, at this pay. There are plenty of butchers in St. Louis that could have paid better, besides local supermarket chains and unions and so on. But places like this always attracted types that didn't mind the mass amounts of blood and probably spilled plenty of their own. I cased the facility. The plant ran 24-7 but slowed down at night. By the quality of the vans, the night was when the quality goods were being made. There were a few guards watching the outside, but it was clear they expected the reputation of a meat processing plant to keep people out. The guard at the front, some sort of Turkic or Mongolian-looking man at this distance, smoked like a chimney and barely looked up as the night shift walked in. The only disruption in their schedule was the appearance of a massive, double-wide 18-wheeler. Once it was settled, the workers returned to their usual tasks. The fifty-odd workers looked all stone-eyed and bored. They were, as one, tanned-skinned and black-haired. Some had a little olive in their complexion, but I wasn't one to judge. The guard at the gate just looked at them, nodding to a few. The last smoked a cigarette with them. The two laughed at a joke, and then the worker entered the main complex. The whole thing looked ready to die. It was a horrid mix of good St. Louis brickwork, 1970s brutalist concrete, and some black glass modern offices that stuck out of one wing like a tumor on an obese corpse. Its ugliness offended me. If I did find human parts in this place, I'd burn it down on principle. I planned out my route. None of the workers had more than a bare-bones ID. 
a lone janitor had a set of keys. I watched him descend into the catacomb-like closets and not come out. I decided to make my entry now. I had chosen my watch post with care. Within arm's distance was a sewer grate. There's a lot of sewers in St. Louis. Probably more miles of sewer than there are roads in the main city. They're bigger than you think, too. The caves that pockmark Missouri, and especially St. Louis, run deep. I'm told the first paranormal Pinkerton dove deep in and slew a horror of flesh and bone. In 1913, he went in with a team, a flamethrower, and a lot of courage. He came back out. Just. Him. Sometimes I came near to places with fire burns deep in the oldest guts of St. Louis, and I wondered if Stryker ever wandered those same sewers, slaying something that could never be imagined. The records weren't in the Pinkerton's uh, normal archives. Control once told me that old Mr. Alan Pinkerton got real paranoid about the Stryker archives before he finally bit it in 1958. I told her Alan Pinkerton died in 1884. She laughed and laughed and then ended the call. The smell brought me to my knees when I broke the freshness seal. I vomited on the grass and nearly called it there. I bet I could have gotten a major investigation just by calling the local city officials and getting their heads over the sewer. St. Louis remembers what it's like to keep a city alive. No, this is the job. It was time to earn my pay. The smell, at least, didn't get worse the deeper I went down. It was bad from the start, and it was bad at the end. I crouched over the sewer channels and hit it with a low-intensity light. Blood and bits mixed with the occasional toilet runoff. I walked against the currents and found the pipes that led from the processing plant and into a massive vat. In the center of it, several tubes distributed pink and blue liquids into slowly churning turbines. There were lights in this part. I could see it all, including the fingers that floated like logs in lazily whirling mix. I felt something watch me and turned to see a thousand-strong pack of rats. They watched me with beady black eyes and snuffling their ratty noses. They looked hungry. Not a single one touched the feast of blood and offal, just an inch from their ratty feet. I ran for the edge and jumped, landing on one of the four bladed blood churners. The front row of rats leaped after me, mostly falling to their drowning deaths into the pool of blood. When their bodies hit the surface, they screamed, their fur burning off and skin bubbling into buboes and strange limbs, pink like the arms of a newborn infant. Those nearest to the pink and blue liquids merely swam until they hit the untreated sludge. I kicked those lucky ones into the bloody brine and stabbed one that made a run for my pants leg. The rest of the rats watched from the edge, filling out and around the vat, filling the walkways and climbing up the protruding pipes. Some of the braver or more starving ones made the leap on other turbines, 
there was a ladder and a landing at the pink and blue liquid dispensing pipes. I waited for the turbine I clung to to get near, and I jumped, climbing onto the landing as the first of my rat friends scurried over. They avoided the blue and pink pipes like the plague, but I was half over by then. I swiped my buoy knife at them, killing several and driving away the rest. They dragged their wounded and dead with them. I did not want to see the rest. I climbed the ladder, framed by blue and pink pipes, and entered the machinist room. Most of the equipment had rusted to hell back before my mother was born, but some parts were new, including blue and pink tanks papered with warnings and caution signs in five languages. I stayed well away from them. Despite safety videos arguing the contrary, as long as nobody, say, closes off a sprinkler system, meat packing plants or factories in general won't catch fire. Certainly there are some that are just stupidly made so that explosive gas finds a nice home in that one closet the smoker uses, but not this one. Each of the sprinkler valves with multiple redundancies would barely move even when I put my back into it. The whole place, especially around the pink and blue liquid canisters, smelled of oil and I don't know what chemicals, but they smelled flammable. It was one of those sort of mm, pinches to the nose, like the smell of gas or sulfur, a mix of things that hit the button in my ape brain that said, burn it. The dopamine would run thick tonight. The janitor was napping when I left the basement storehouses and stayed napping when I left. It would be a shame to disturb a man who hugged a bottle of whiskey so tenderly. Almost brought a tear to my eye. I'd remember to kick him awake before I make my escape. I crept through the underground passages. Above, I could hear active machinery and the squealing of pigs. I kept a sharp eye out. My nose was shot, but I counted it a blessing. I ducked into closets or shadows whenever some of the workers passed by. I wanted to find the center of it. The reason. The dreaded assembly lines. I emerged from the side passages into a dark office space. The computers were off and set on some sort of timer, so I couldn't interact with them. The Orsanto logo and a little ditty about moral corporate behavior played every 45 seconds when I moved a mouse. I left it alone and entered the main hall. This widest snow room was as empty as the rest had been. I left marks wherever I walked. I changed tactics and ran for the door of the clean rooms. I ran up the stairs from them to the observation decks. I'm not sure how many levels this place had, but it was at least six stories tall, even if it was mostly empty space. I call it empty space, but it was full of pipes, conveyor belts, fans, tubes, connecting everything in the building with everything else or just itself. There was little rhyme or reason to it. Pipes ended in thin air, while others looped around the ceiling and then entered back to the same machine it came from. Fans blew air from one part to the other, guided by wind tunnels and rudders hanging from the rafters. Liquids were piped in from immense storage tanks, exposed to open air over and under nothing, and then piped away to some other strange machine. 
I'm not an educated man, but there wasn't even a hint of logic I could pull from the strange organic twistings of the factory line. It fed and was fed in turn. It served something, and something gave it life. The workers below didn't look up when the door opened, and didn't care. I watched them. Below, nude bodies of men and women rolled down conveyor belts. Each worker removed one part of the body, one right hand, another the left, the next the arm at the shoulder. With knives sharper than cut glass, they did bloody work. The bodies were already dead, but each face blank, some with hair, most without. There was far less blood than I expected, but enough that the gutters ran half full at every workstation. I kept low and slow, letting my weight shift to where I would move. The guardrails didn't so much as creak as I passed. Watching more and more of the humans get parted out and put into other conveyors, where I saw wrapping and boxing, some, especially parted from the women bodies, were kept aside and put into fancy boxes by immaculately clean workers. The gentleness by which they treated the goods astounded me. There's a market for every meat, but I wasn't aware cannibalism was so industrialized. I made a promise to track down everyone involved. I hadn't burned down anything in a while, and I thought I would go on a nice little rampage. It wasn't like these places and people weren't insured, right? Orsanto was the center of it, so Orsanto would be my first target. I didn't just want the suppliers. I'd find the buyers, too. I could hear the machines and wailing of pigs now. A corridor joined the pig section with the processing section. I crept through it and watched the pigs come from a truck easily divided into a set of corridors. Four pigs were herded into a station, which filled with CO2 if the tanks up top were to be believed. They were unconscious when they were rolled out and their throats slit. Who knew the old pigs had so much blood? A foot was stuck on a chain and into a carcass, or soon-to-be carcass, and the whole thing was lifted up. I crept along, looking for likely places to start an electrical fire. I was surprised. The electrical work was up to code so far. They really paid top dollar. Didn't stop me from crossing some wires and setting things up for a fire the second someone plugged something in. Not that I wanted to make that a habit, but I was feeling vindictive. I heard some voices and peeked around a corner. Three men stood on a platform overlooking the center of the whole process. I could see my target just over their shoulders. All pipes and tubes and fans and Lord only knows what else converging on one machine, the size and shape of the double-wide shipping container. The whole thing pulsed like a heart, a seed of evil growing into a sick patchwork building who didn't know what generation it was. The truck was still hooked up on one end, engine idling. Dead pigs went in, dead humans went out. The metal shook and rippled whenever a human was spat out. The noise was constant and steady, not too loud you couldn't hear, but loud enough never to be ignored. 
the humans were tied by their foot by the same chain as the pig. They drift with a purple liquid that glowed in the few shadows this place had. I guess that the sex of the pig determined the sex of the human. I've done missions on pig farms. I have no sympathy for pigs. But I plan to favor beef for the next few weeks. The human faces were blank. Piggy looks that left me with an empty heart. They hit all the boxes of being a human, but none of that soul-to-soul connection. We're meeting our production quotas faster every night, said the first. He was a fit man who spoke well. I couldn't place him other than generically white and generically handsome. It was like looking at every picture of a corporate stooge, a middle manager who loved his job and quoted the prince unironically. Even Machiavelli didn't quote the prince unironically. He looked tense and occasionally sniffed the air. What do you think the workers will do when they cut their hours? Said the second. This guy towered over the other two. The first was average and the third was short. Not that it would matter with bullets in them. The third guy was a thick-bodied black guy with all the right bulges for a bulletproof vest. I planned my shots accordingly. We'll be keeping them on staff and firing the janitors. Let them keep hours and pay. I'd salary them, but the paperwork is uh, awkward. Can you imagine filling a TPS report for this? Well, morale is high and my machine works perfectly. It was disturbingly easy to get them started. I expected more pushback. Oh, well, a welcome surprise. Unlike the one behind us who smells like a sewer. The three turned. The first and third held handguns while the second ran for the stairway down. The third man fired, but the second jostled him, and the shot went wild. I dodged back into the connecting corridor. The first shouted, Don't bother, that's a paranormal Pinkerton. Skulking vermin. They're like the sun zoos of supernatural arson, and I guarantee he set this place to burn. Hit the alarms and get the Vorex transmuter out of here. A few bullets ricocheted off the wall and kept me honest. I backed out. I knew a bad situation where I saw one. Apparently, Pinkertons had a reputation with Orsanto. I'm thinking Sean. The man had a hint of an East Coast accent. I gotta say, I didn't think the Sean had the cojones to leave a blaze worth talking about. Good on him. It was time to live up to the reputation. I kicked in one of my booby-trapped power outlets and was satisfied to hear a spark. I ran through the processing plant and jumped down the stairs. The alarm started to blaze. I pushed past a blinking janitor and threw a match into an oily room. It lit up like a summer barbecue with too much lighter fluid in the charcoal. I ran out the janitor's office and into the parking lot. The Vorex transmuter's truck was pulling out. The massive engine roared, but the weight of the unholy machine kept its momentum slow. Besides, they didn't pull out all the tubes and pipes, which burst over floor and parking lot. Unismasher was nearby. I dodged the fleeing workers in their cars and vaulted the low fence. Someone was shooting at me, but in the dark, with my black trench coat and all the fleeing workers, 
No chance of a hit. I saw the executive hanging off the side of the truck and pointing at me. He was unwilling to stick around as I pulled my own gun and hid himself in the gap between the Vorax and the truck that struggled with it. A second later, I saw a flatbed truck with all the wide-load signage it would need burst out beside it. The 18-wheeler was gaining momentum. Its bulk blocked the other cars from using the exit nearest to the highway. I made the car and dove into the driver's seat. Unismasher's engine started just as the Vorex transport reached the on-ramp for North Highway 55. That direction had more highways to dodge off to. I was already seeing police lights burn down side streets. Broadway was nearby, and that was a hub for the police. It was enough to make me bulk. I'm not about to tangle with the boys in blue. It's a bad look. The workers decided it for me. Their cars streamed out and blocked my route. I blinked and the moment had been lost. In a moment, I pulled a U-turn and followed the workers out. The herd protected me. The police knew my car. I found a nice spot and watched the whole thing burn. I made a few calls to Dan Voigt of Days. He was interested, especially in the chemicals being poured out into the blood. He was a little angry. I burned it and let the smoke go into the atmosphere. But I made no apologies for my art. The place burned to the ground and I wasn't surprised to hear about a high number of casualties and an equal number of crispy pigs. That they were naked, put into boxes, did make the nightly news. The bird with a baby arm caused a panic, especially with claims of a secret virus lab within the city. No such thing exists as far as I know, but after some follies in other countries, well, you can't be too careful. I spent the next day casing Orsanto's offices. Police officers watched the place so I couldn't break in without making a lot of noise. I had no idea whether they were burning their customer lists, but I had a feeling they were. I'd come back to this later. I decided to track down the Vorex first. Maybe pay back the executive and his guard for shooting at me. But there's more important things going on. They're making people. I assume they aren't actually killing them. I'm going uh, off the grid more than usual to track down a lead on Grigory Hovarth. He was a paranormal Pinkerton who worked St. Louis with me, but he, like the rest, disappeared. He was an odd duck, and neither of us liked each other. Sort of frou-frou kind of guy. Didn't like to dirty his hands. A friend you know the type, told me that Grigory had been working at the library at Missouri State University, overseeing some sort of African fetish statuette exhibit. I'm going to pay him a visit. I don't know what will happen, but I'm hoping to find an answer. Or a hint. Or something. Anything. I'm tired of not knowing anything. Jack Morrow. Out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio and licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. 
This episode was written and performed by Ben Wheeler, who also edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Kim Dickinson is our audio editor. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Support us on Patreon or email us at PinkertonsGhosts at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our unauthorized episodes as well. Thank you for listening.